0: Hello, Fellowship Mosaic family. Pray that you experience the empowering presence of Jesus Christ here tonight through his spirit. Let's stand up and sing together. just turn and greet each other tonight?
1: Hey, Mosaic family. I'm so glad you're here to worship this evening. It's so good to be together to sing to our King. I'm Kara. I work with the worship team here. And I want to especially welcome, if you are here for the very first time, we are glad you're here. And please don't leave without letting us know that you're here and that you're new. You can do that by texting the number on the screen or by stopping by that circular booth in the foyer before you leave. Another really special welcome to our elementary and middle school students. You guys here? You guys are important to Jesus, and you're important to Mosaic, and we love these nights when you get to worship with the grown ups. So thanks for joining us tonight. Speaking of students, we've got some middle and high school students who are ready to take the good news about King Jesus to the ends of the earth, and they need our support. So. Please jump on our website, fellowshipmosaic.org, and support. You can support a general trip fund or a specific student for their spring break mission. Also on our website, you will find a David study guide. The life of David has much to teach us about Jesus, our enemy slaying king, and I encourage you to not let your learning stop after Saturday night. This study guide has been a gift to me this week, both in my personal quiet time and in my small group gathering. I encourage you to check it out. And finally, one of the greatest victories we get to celebrate as the family of God is when a new believer publicly declares his faith in Jesus through baptism. Please join me in welcoming David Hoffman to the stage.
0: Good evening, fellowship. I have the great honor tonight to be able to introduce you to my beloved son, David. He has truly lived up to his name as beloved. He has helped us, especially in the last year, with the ups and downs, reminding us of God's passion and grace for us. David, stand up. You gotta stand up, buddy. Hold on. We're not ready yet. He's ready to dunk. All right. So, David. It is your testimony that you believe Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. Yes. Okay. It is my great honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. All for you, bud. Awesome. Hey Mosaic, let's continue in that attitude of celebration. Amen? We're so proud of you, David. Let's stand together and sing.
2: sing this out. that's in the blood. This future grace that's mine today, that Jesus Christ has won. Amen. Sing it. So I can face tomorrow. This is hopeful. singing For tomorrow's in But I know what you're my savior mighty
0: Here to worship God out of our own power and might. We bow before the throne of Jesus, family. We bow before King Jesus, who has the right to rule. Praise God, He has the right to rule, not us. So, out of that posture of submission, of humility before Him, let's pray together our offering liturgy aloud. O Father, giver of all, Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit, amen. Sing of his goodness together.
2: I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head, I will see of the goodness of God
0: We are confident that you are good. We are confident that even when it feels like that's not true, that it is. We're confident that your goodness is not based on what we see, is not based on what we experience, but it is based in the truth of your word, the truth of Jesus Christ and his testimony, the truth of the blood of the lamb. And yet we're grateful for the ways that if we do open our eyes, we do allow ourselves to feel the world around us that we see your faithfulness, we see your goodness. May we have the grace to taste and see more. Amen. Would you remain standing, please, for the reading of the Word as we welcome my friend Abigail Martin up to the <laughs> stage. Hey, Abigail.
3: Hello, Mosaic. My name is Abigail Martin. I'm married to Drew Martin. Um, We met at a Mosaic service over three years ago and have been serving in the student ministries ever since. Um, This week, uh, Drew started a new job in Pennsylvania. So even though our time at Mosaic and in Arkansas is coming to an end, we're very grateful for our community in Mosaic. So let's hear from the word of the Lord 1 Samuel 17 37 through 45. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord will be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword, his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, David, Am I a dog, that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and the spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is the word of the Lord.
4: be to God. You all can take a seat.
3: Well, hi, I
4: am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with worry and anxiety with trying to gain people's approval and trying to numb my pain with pleasure and entertainment. My name's Nick. Hey, I missed you all so much. It seems like the Celebrate Recovery series was was really impactful and important. I'm so grateful I got to listen along. And, And I just want to remind us, even as that series has come to a close, that recovery is a lifelong journey. And by the way, Celebrate Recovery was not the first uh, people to recognize that. Um, that's been a, a recognition of all people who follow Jesus. You know, even Martin Luther 500 years ago, the reformer said, the life of faith is a life of repentance. It's a life of turning and change. And so we hope that that series was, was really just a springboard um, into stepping into steps of recovery and life's healing choices for us. So I'm really grateful for it. I've been gone for the month of January. Um, one of the really just special things that our church does is after you've been on staff here for seven years, they have a sabbatical program where you get to go on an extended vacation just to rest and recharge because preachers can't stop with alliteration. Uh, when we go on sabbatical, they asked us to think through three things, recreation, rest, and reflection. And so for our recreation, no surprise to anyone who knows me, we went to Disney World, and it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, we had a really, really great time. Um, while you all were in negative 10 degrees, I was in 65 degrees, It was great. Um, There was a really sweet moment one day when we were walking into one of the parks. Um, I I paused our family and said, hey, do you know that we're here right now because our elders and our church loves us a lot? I said, a lot of churches ask their ministry team to give and give and give to the church, and they don't mean it this way, but that usually means ignore your family, and we're here because our church doesn't want you to be ignored. They love, look at my wife, Cassie, and said, our church loves you. Look at my daughter, Karis, said, our church loves you. And uh, and Karis, my daughter, said, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of kids, there are kids out there that, that really hate that their parents work at a church, but I'm really thankful that you work at a church, Dad. That is a big deal. I cannot tell you how much that means to me, that this church makes working here a blessing for my whole family. So I'm incredibly grateful. Um, got to have a lot of time of rest, that looked like that um, a whole lot with my dog playing King of the Hill. And, uh, and they asked us just to have some, some time of reflection. So my parents have this great cabin out in, around Elkins, and I got to go out there for a couple days and just pray and, and seek the Lord and see what he had for us. So I'm really grateful for the time away, and I'm also really, really grateful to be back and continue in this series on the life of David. Got to be here last week to hear Gary Oliver kick us off with the story of David's anointing. The, the story of God calling David to be king because Saul had failed. Fail, Saul, Saul had failed as a king, had failed to trust the Lord, so God sent Samuel to anoint a new king named David. And Gary alluded to this. One of the things I think is so fascinating about this story is that Saul is anointed as the future king of Israel, and then what? He's just sent back to the field to be a shepherd again. Um, I'm going to keep this rant to a minimum, um, but I want to speak... To all of my young adults in the room, um, I, I remember feeling this way so much. Um, when I came on staff at Fellowship at 21, um, I had like heard some podcasts and read some blogs, and I knew everything that this church needed to change to be a healthy church. And I expected that all of the elders and the older staff would listen to me in my depth and well of knowledge to transform what Fellowship should be at 21, And there's a tendency among, there's one of the beautiful things about youth is that there's passion and there's energy and there's drive. But one of the patterns we see over and over again in scripture is that when people, even when young people have a calling on their life, there often is still a sustained season of growing in maturity that has to happen before they're really ready to lead in the way that God calls them to. And so, David, even though he is anointed the future king, his next task was to go out and be a shepherd. And we actually see in the story tonight that his time as a shepherd was actually used to prepare him for his task as king. So my challenge to everyone like me who might be in like a young adult period of leadership that feels, why am I not being listened to? Why am I not being given the opportunities? This is a unique season in your life to grow in maturity and to become the person God's shaping you into. Don't blow past that. Accept the growing moment for what it is. So David goes back and he's a shepherd, and, and it seems like this anointing has gone nowhere. And that brings us to the story tonight, the story of David and Goliath, this defining moment. Um, the story of David and Goliath is so big that it seems like anywhere you go in culture, even people who've never walked in a church, never opened a Bible are somewhat aware of David and Goliath, right? Like, I mean, how many football games during any given season are gonna be called a David and Goliath match, right? Anytime the little guy is going up against the big guy, we know David and Goliath, and that's what this story is pictured as in our culture. It's a story that the little guy can win. And in fact, you know, there's so many depictions of David and Goliath, and there's one children's... uh, Cartoon Bible series that I actually love. I really love the series. I love the creator. I think it's excellent. And it kind of kills me just a little bit the way they depict the David and Goliath story because the theme, the title of it is Little Guys Can Do Big Things Too. And the subtitle is A Lesson in Self Esteem. And I wonder, is that what this story of David and Goliath is about? That you are enough to do something big? Now, that might be a, a less good way to articulate but even some of the best ways I've heard it taught still focus on how if you have faith, God through you can accomplish big things. And that becomes the focal point of the story. Now, is that true that if you have faith, God through you can do big things? That absolutely is true. And usually the way that gets applied is Imagine whatever giant you're facing in your life right now, and if you trust God, you can overcome that. So we typically would ask, hey, what's the big thing you're facing? Everybody imagine it. What's, you don't have to say it out loud. Picture it right now. What is the big thing in your life that just seems impossible to overcome? And the way this story would usually be applied is we'd say, now, if you trust God, you can overcome that. While that is true... I don't think that's what this story's about. Bill Arnold wrote one of my favorite books on first and second Samuel and he says, hey, when we're reading the Old Testament, by the way, if you're not familiar with your Bible, um, the Bible, it kinda has two big acts in it, two big sections of the story. We call the first section the Old Testament and that's the part of the story that focuses on God working with a people called Israel and he's, he's, training that people up to walk with him, setting everything up for the second part of the story, the big finish, which is when we meet Jesus. And the second part called the New Testament is about Jesus and his followers in the church. So when we say the Old Testament, we mean that first part that focuses on Israel. And Bill Arnold says, hey, most of us aren't Israel. We aren't Israelites. We're not living in that time of the Old Testament. So he says, when we read the Old Testament, there are three questions we have to ask to make sure we're applying it, that we're responding to that story correctly. And he says, the first one we have to ask is, what did this story mean for ancient Israel? If we skip that question, we're likely gonna miss what the whole story's about. So he said, always start there. What did this story mean for ancient Israel? And then we ask the question, then where does that fit in God's larger story? And when we've answered those two questions, then we're ready to ask, what does this mean for me today? So we're gonna try to walk through some highlights of the story of David and Goliath, asking those big questions to see what is this story all about? So remember the setup. It says we're in the valley and on one side of the valley are the big, scary Philistines. Okay, they're lined up, they're ready to attack. And on the opposite side is the Israelite army. And everything about the setup of the story, it matches. It's like a mirror image. One side is the Philistines. The other side is the Israelites. And out from the Philistines comes the nine-foot-tall, scary, giant, monster-soldier, Goliath. Now, when you're reading the story, there's a match on each side. One side of the valley, the other side. The army, the other army. The giant... But there's no answer on the other side of the valley. The Philistines have their incredible soldier, Goliath. Where is Israel's champion? Where's their soldier? Goliath comes out and says, I'm ready to fight. Who from Israel will fight me? Now, you know what's really interesting is I think the storyteller shows us who Israel's champion should have been. The focus in the beginning of this story is all on the man Saul. You know how Saul is described when we first meet him? When he first gets anointed king, he's described as a head taller than everyone in Israel, strong and handsome and a soldier, a warrior ready to fight Israel's battles. In 1 Samuel, we meet Saul and he sounds a lot like Goliath. Look at how the story develops at the beginning. When they describe Israel, it says Saul and the Israelites assembled. When Goliath taunts them, it says, aren't all of you servants of Saul? When it describes David's brothers going to war, it says his three oldest brothers had followed Saul to war. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel. If there's a mirror image, two sides of the valley, the Philistine army, the Israelite army, the Philistine champion Goliath, the Israelite champion named Saul. Saul is the king of Israel. Saul is the one who's supposed to go out and fight Goliath. He is Israel's big, strong, impressive champion. But what do we read instead? On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and all the Israelites were terrified. You see, the way this story is supposed to go is Saul is still Israel's king and he is supposed to be the one who trusts the Lord, leads Israel into battle and defeats the enemy. That's Saul's job. And everything we're told about Saul, he should be the person to do it. He should have the skills to go fight. And what's even more, at the beginning of the story, It gives a ridiculous amount of detail about the exact location where this battle is taking place. I've been there. It's a really cool valley. And one commentator I was reading points out the reason for all of the specific detail is so that you have no doubt this battle is being fought in the land God promised Israel. God said, I will protect you in this land against anyone who invades. Therefore, Saul should have known. God promised that we would win this fight. God made a promise to Israel to protect them. Hey, can I make just a quick aside? Um, it, it's hard to talk about um, armies and wars and God protecting Israel without being reminded of what's happening right now in Israel and Palestine. Um and there, there are a lot of really complicated theological issues about how to think about Israel today. Um, I, I would refer to you, there's an excellent article um, that I think you can find online by Dr. Mark Bailey that talks about the theological issues. But one of the points that, that Dr. Bailey makes that I think is really helpful on the theological side is he said, God made a promise to his people Israel that he would bless them forever and that the land was theirs forever. But you know what God also promised? He promised to extend that blessing to the Gentiles and to the nations. And he said that by faith in Christ, we all become children of Abraham. And he also said that Israel's true king who will restore them to the land is Jesus. And this is the conclusion that Dr. Bailey makes. He says all the political details today are really complex and confusing, but he said, Israel will have the land forever when they trust in King Jesus. And Palestinians will have the land forever when they place their faith in King Jesus. That is the ultimate hope for both sides. What does that mean for today? I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know. When I saw the attacks on October 7th, I, I was just devastated. And when I see the death and the, the pain in the war right now, I'm devastated. I don't have perfect answers. I don't know what the political answer is. I know that Israel and Palestine needs peace and they need justice and only Jesus brings perfect peace and justice. So, if if you're if you're trying to read between the lines on a political statement there, don't. There's no there's no between the lines. I'm not trying to make a political point. I'm saying I'm devastated, I'm sad, and I pray for peace and I pray for for what is right and just and true to be done in Israel and Palestine. So, um That being said, let's return to our story in ancient Israel in that time. So they are looking for their king to fight for them and Saul is absent. He's hiding and he's not doing his job. In the meantime, David's out in the fields watching sheep. He's too young to even be invited to battle, but his dad says, hey, your older brothers need some bread. Take this to them, okay? So he's the Uber Eats guy who delivers the food to the battlefront. And he brings the bread and he comes up to the battle and he's supposed to go back and tell his dad what's going on. And when he gets there, he hears Goliath making fun of God, making fun of Yahweh, making fun of Israel. And he sees Saul and the soldiers hiding in their tents, scared. And, and David looks up and he says, hey, don't be scared on a, on, because of this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Why was David ready to say that when no one else in Israel was? Well, it actually comes out when he goes to the battle lines. Look at what he says to Goliath when he gets ready to fight him. We read this earlier. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Notice, what is the source of David's confidence and strength that he can win this battle? It's not his weapons, it's not his skill, it's God. He trusts that God's gonna do what he said he would do. He says, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, this gets a little graphic, sorry kids. "um, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world. What will they know? Will they know that David's an amazing soldier? No, what will they know? There's a God in Israel. David charged the hill because he knew what God was capable of and that God keeps his promises. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David, because of his incredible faith in God's ability to keep his promises and the certainty that he would, would charge the impossible giant. And you know the story. He grabs the sling, he throws it around, he launches the rock at the scary soldier, and Goliath falls dead. And at this point in the sermon, we usually would say, hey, what giant are you facing? That you need to trust the Lord to help you overcome. I think the big problem with that application is it assumes that God has promised to defeat whatever giant you had in your head. But God hasn't made that promise. God hasn't promised to heal your sickness today. God hasn't promised to take away your financial troubles. He hasn't promised that that broken relationship that the other person will turn and come back. And what tends to happen when we say, okay, God promised that he'll help me overcome this. We charge in saying, I trust the Lord. And what happens when the thing we're taking on doesn't turn out our way? We usually conclude one of two things, either God failed or I failed. Either I trusted God and he didn't come through, therefore I can't trust him anymore. Or I didn't have enough faith. What's wrong with me? Clearly I didn't trust the Lord enough. I think the problem with this application is it reads the story and assumes that we're the, supposed to be the main character, that we're David. And that makes sense in an American culture because we live in a culture where anyone can become anything, right? Like how many elementary kids at some point had the question, some kind of little paper about what you would do if you're president one day? Anybody had this prompt? Okay, why? Because anybody can grow up to be anything. No one thought that in Israel. No one thought any of us can be king. In England today, little first graders aren't told any of you could be king someday. That's not the way it works in a monarchy, people. When ancient Israelites would have heard what would this story have meant to them, I don't believe they would have thought, wow, I can be David too. What they would have said is, thank God he gave us David. God, thank you for giving us the king that we need. Saul failed us, but David didn't. Israel would have read the story and gone, that's what a true king should look like. And all of the rest of their future kings, what this story would have meant was this becomes the standard for every other king. That's what this story meant to Israel is that because of David's victory, he proves that he is the true king of Israel. The true king fights for his people and protects them. Okay, so if that's what this meant to Israel is the true king fights for and protects the people of Israel. Where does this fit in the story, the bigger story of God? See, as we go forward and we look at Israel's history, David sets the standard in so many ways. All the things that David does right become the standard of a king, but David also blows it in a lot of ways. We're gonna see this later in the series. David makes so many mistakes and his mistakes are gonna to lead to devastation in Israel. So there's this weird Conversation that's always happening in Israel where they're saying, we need another king like David, but he needs to be better than David. All the good without the bad. And that's why when Jesus shows up, his main identity, the, one, the thing he gets recognized as is as the son of David. Now remember the timeline. God rejects Saul as king. Samuel anoints David. David slays Goliath the victory that proves he's the king. In the first century, all of the kings of Israel had been rejected. They all failed. Israel's now being ruled by a foreigner, the Roman Empire. And the similarities, they're, they're too strong for me to ignore. Remember, here's the story of what happened when David was anointed. The Lord said, rise up and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came on David. Three elements. The voice of God says, this is the one. The, the prophet anoints the spirit empowers. Mark chapter one. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. He was baptized by John, the prophet anoints. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. The spirit comes to empower. And a voice from heaven came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus is the anointed king. He's the one that God has sent and said, this this is the one for you to follow. Now, right after David had his anointing, he went to battle with the enemy of Israel, right? What happens to Jesus right after his baptism? David goes and fights Goliath. Immediately after the baptism, the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. See, everyone at this time would have thought our enemy is Rome. We need Jesus to take Rome out. But the spirit didn't send Jesus to go fight Caesar. Who did the spirit send Jesus to go do battle with? Satan. What's the point? We had a bigger enemy than any of the small fries we were worried about. And Jesus, we we, we might've thought that the big battle was how do you take on an entire Roman army? What was the battle? Can you do 40 days in the desert with Satan and not give in to sin? What's harder, taking on an army or living a sinless life? Jesus took on an enemy much bigger than any army or any soldier we could ever imagine there would be another anointing that would come later in Jesus' life. And this time, it's a forgiven sinner that anoints Jesus with oil. And he would go on to fight another battle the next day. Only this time, he had taken on Satan, he had taken on sin, and now he was taking on the last enemy, death itself. This is what Paul had to say about it in the letter to the Colossians. He said, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Look at verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that means Satan and his demons, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus said, Satan, take your best shot. And on the cross, Satan heaped everything on him, the shame, the scorn, the rejection. It broke Jesus's body to the point of death. And three days later, Jesus walked out victorious, our champion, our king. So where does it fit in the story? If David proved he was Israel's king by his victory, then Jesus proves that he is our king by his victory over our enemy, Satan, sin, and death. So what does that mean for you and me? You remember all those giants you thought about earlier? They're still there. But what this means is that if Jesus has won the biggest battle, then we can face all of our smaller ones with faith and courage, courage, knowing that we cannot be defeated. Cancer may get me now, but resurrection is coming. Unemployment and financial ruin may get me now, but the riches of heaven are coming. I may continually lose my struggle with sin now, but ultimate healing is coming. My relationship might break down now, but ultimately everything will be restored and reconciled. This also means that our biggest enemies might not be who we think they are. I can tell you one thing that really concerns me right now is the amount of language about war and victory that Christians are using to say, God is gonna help them defeat other people. Okay, let's get political for a minute just because it's fun, okay? I don't care if you think your biggest enemy is the woke left or the Christian nationalist right. Those are not your enemies to be defeated. They are humans that Jesus died for. So when you enlist Jesus to help you crush them, that's not a fight he's gonna fight, okay? Does that mean that truth doesn't matter. And no, there's arguments to be had, sure. But Jesus is not interested in fighting to help you crush other people. He died for them. The enemy that Jesus crushes on our behalf is Satan and sin and death. So what do we do in response? I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes the smaller giants, and, and they, can, they are. I'm not trying to say they're insignificant, guys. There are things that we face that are really big. But sometimes they can become the biggest thing. And we lose sight of the battle that Jesus already won for us. So what do we do? We have to remind ourselves over and over and over again the victory that Jesus has already won on our behalf so that we can have the courage to go face whatever else is coming. That doesn't mean you won't go through something hard. It doesn't mean it won't be devastating. What it means is it will not ultimately crush you, that you can get up and keep going again. That grief and loss, though painful, is not forever. We mourn with hope. Though the struggle with sin seems like it will never end, it will end because Jesus won that battle. So this is why we, we come together and we worship and we sing the songs to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And it's why the church was given this practice of communion so that we can regularly come to the table and be reminded that whatever I'm facing, Jesus died for me. His death on the cross, his resurrection has rendered him victorious, and by faith in him, we are victorious too. So what we're gonna do is I invite everyone in here who, who names Jesus as their champion, who names him as their savior by faith to come down. We're gonna ask you to come out to the left of your aisle and, and take the elements and go back to your seats. Hold on to them, we'll sing for a little bit and we'll take them together. And we're gonna remind ourselves of what King Jesus has done on our behalf. I'm gonna grab a a tray. And if you're unable to come to the front, just raise your hand, I'll bring it to you. And if you're in the room and and you haven't had this experience of putting your faith in Jesus and you're encountering it for the first time, we would love to sit down and talk to you about it. We'd love to tell you more of what it looks like to begin to follow our Lord. So you can also raise your hand. I'd love to come sit with you. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you are our champion, that you fought the battle we could never fight on our own. Lord, give us faith to see you for who you are. Lord, when when my eyes and my mind are consumed and overwhelmed by the things in front of me that I don't know how to defeat, help me remember that you've already won every battle that matters. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You can go ahead and come up to receive the communion elements. the elements in your hand we'll take them together after our next song uh, let's stand let's stand together and sing and celebrate king jesus as we prepare to take communion together Experience and are welcomed into the victory over the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony of the believers who are washed in that blood, who are welcomed into that new covenant of grace. That's you and me, that's you and me. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his disciples and he, he took the bread and he passed the bread around and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So take and eat and remember me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, he passed the cup of wine around. He said, take and drink, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. As often as you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. So we drink. body of Christ Jesus, we're victorious, and not on our own merit, but on the merit of the Son of God, who welcomes us to experience the inheritance that He exists in, offers us His place. And we will sit next to Him in glory one day. But until then and forevermore, we bow before His throne, completely humble before King Jesus. So if you're new tonight, again, like Kara said at the beginning, welcome. We're glad you came. Don't leave before texting that number, um, the Mo New number, or going out to to meet someone at the info booth and hear how to get involved in this body. And if you would like to receive prayer tonight, uh, please grab someone next to you. Grab a friend, a family member, someone sitting close, and ask them to pray with you. Or if you'd like to, there's also gonna be some staff members or members of our prayer team toward the back of the room that would love to pray with you as well. Fellowship Mosaic, go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. We'll see you next week.